Hey, good morning, GF. Pastor Rod here. So thankful that you guys jumped on. Uh, I want to encourage you to share this link to get the word out. Also want to encourage you, man, we're about to get into God's word. So if you don't have your Bible, you can download your Bible uh, right over here. And man, I want to encourage you to dig in God's word. We're going to spend some time in Philippians 2 verses 12 through 18. You can find me there. Also want to encourage you, man, if you have comments, thoughts, questions, throw those in the comments below. I also want to encourage you to hang out after the sermon. We're going to be having a hangout based on marriage. I think it's going to be helpful and fruitful uh, for you in whatever stage you are in relationally. So let's just jump into God's word and let's get after it. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 through 18 says, therefore my brothers as you have always obeyed so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I want to talk to you about three things. A star's work, which I title, A Star's Work, Two Points, God's Work or Mine, and Two, Shine Like Stars. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you that we get an opportunity to dive into God's word together. Would you be with us and speak to us? Would you transform us through your word? I don't even know the mechanisms in which you do that, but you do that. So transform us, change us, I pray, so that we look more and more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Point one, God's work or mine. God's work or mine. I remember when my wife and I, we first got married and uh, we moved into our little one bedroom apartment and life is amazing. Uh, there with the girl I love um, and life is simple. It's, it's me and it's her and it's, it's just the two of us in Will Smith language. Anyway, it's, it's, it's cool and we're there. Life is real simple, like I said, and I'm in bed early on, maybe first week or two of our marriage. And she says, are you going to lock up the house? Lock up the house. On mine, I'm thinking it's not a house, it's an apartment, but that's neither here nor there. And I'm not going down that road. She says, lock up the house. I'm in the room. She's in the living room. I'm like, small apartment. Uh, well, since you're standing, sweetheart, why don't you go lock the door? And she says, lock the door, that's your job. And I'm like, my job, you're standing there. And she's like, it's your job to lock the house. I'm like, we never, we never talked about that. And she says, well, 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 my dad always locked up the house. And I'm like, well, I'm not your dad. We, we, we just get into this little back and forth and 
you know, at the end, we, we, we sit down and we talk. And, and one of the things she shares with me is, is, well, when I was growing up, my dad always got up and locked up the house, made sure the house was secure, check windows, doors, sliding doors, made sure everything was safe before the family went to bed. But when I grew up, my dad worked at night. So there was no dad necessarily locking up the house. The majority of the time, my mom would lock up the house before we all turned in to bed. What we have here in our early disagreement in marriage is an issue of the divisions of duty. Here's a question on the table. Who's responsible for securing the house? In the same way, when we get to our text, the early part of our text, I got a question for you. Who's responsible for our spiritual growth? That's a legitimate question. Whose job is it to make sure that I'm growing every day, every season? Whose job is it to make sure I'm being conformed to the image of Christ? Is it God's job or is it mine? And as we, as we look at this text, it's easy to walk away and just say, Paul is clearly saying from this text, Rodney, it's my job. I mean, I need to work out my own salvation. How clear can that get? And this is where many Christians fall in their theological perspective on spiritual growth. It's on me. I need to do more. I need to pray more. I need to, I need to do all of these things to, to, to earn in my own salvation. So many Christians, like other Christians will say, no, I don't do anything, nothing, ever. <laughs> Wherever I am in whatever stage I'm in, if I'm, if, if I'm going to grow, God has to grow me. I don't do anything. I just, I'm just there. If I'm, if I'm doing ministry, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just there doing ministry. God's going to do everything. And what Paul is teaching here is, is foundational to our understanding of what Christian living looks like. Let's look at the text again. Because one of the things I want to encourage you is when you find questions in a text that makes you go, hmm, Oftentimes, the answer is right there in the text. Part of the reason we try to preach through the Bible and just let the text speak for itself and you not just get three points out of Rodney's head is I want you to learn how to find a biblical um, um, understanding of a text right there in the text. So let's read it again. Therefore, Stop there. Therefore, Paul is beginning this text by helping us understand what we already learned earlier. Therefore is a connection. So in other words, in light of Christ's humiliation and his exaltation, his ultimate sacrifice, his, his perfect demonstration of humility. Therefore, because of that, Paul is now going to help us understand how do we walk out this humility? How do we walk out this sanctification? She says, therefore, my beloved, my beloved, my beloved. Paul is talking to believers. Remember our context. He has planted this church 10 years ago. He is sitting in a prison, and in the prison, he's penning a letter to a church that he loves, to a people that he loves about joy, even though he's in a joyless situation. Paul is penning this letter to believers. He knows who his original audience is. This morning, as I teach to you, 
I don't know who my original audience is. I don't know who's listening. We are thankful for this, this, this medium that allows us to come to you and share with you, but I don't know necessarily all who's watching as I'm teaching. And so maybe you're watching this and, and maybe your thought is, um, is Paul talking to me? Is, is, is Paul saying that I need to, to work out my own salvation? No, he's talking to the beloved. He's talking to Christians. We all are loved by God. When Paul uses this language of beloved, he's talking to believers. So here's the question. If you would say, Rodney, I'm, I, I'm not a Christ follower, or, or if I am a Christ follower and I need to be reminded of what it means to be a Christ follower, I want us to look together at Ephesians 2. I think Ephesians 2 is going to help us. Let's read it. It says, and you were dead. You're a Christian, you were dead. You would say that I'm not a Christian. This is, this is bold and, and maybe you didn't sign up for this this morning. But if you're not a Christian, the, the, the Bible would say you're, you're spiritually dead. I think, I think you could even attest to that. I don't have this connection with the living God. So the scripture would just say you're spiritually dead. Now let's listen to, 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 to the scripture as it continues. Look at verse 2. You were dead, or verse one, or verse one. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked. Talking to the believer, you once walked this way. It's important that Paul is helping you understand. You have not always been so such and much. You were a mess too. You walked this way. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, which is, which is Satan, the deceiver. The spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. We were disobedient to a living and holy and righteous God, not adhering to how he has called us to be saved or called us to live. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. That's all of us. We were there. Whether you were that person that said, man, I was wild and out. I was far from Christ. Or that person that kind of stayed close to the church, but you were still far from him. And listen, it's only two categories. is dead people and living people. Paul is reminding us of this so we don't think there's some in-betweenness. And this is where all of us lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Whatever our body wanted to do, we did. Whatever our mind told us to do, we did. And we're by nature's children of wrath, deserving of God's wrath. This is all of us for salvation. We were all in the same boat before salvation. But look what happens in verse 4. This is crazy. But... God, those are two words that's really, 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 really good. But God, you need a but God and I need a but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive in Christ. Do you get that? Man, God came to us when we could not come to him. We were dead. 
Dead people don't get up one day and walk to God because they're dead. Dead people don't uh, confess to God. They can't talk because they're dead. Dead people don't save themselves because they're dead. They need to be made alive. This is what Christ has done for us. This is why we want God. This is why you say stuff like, man, I need to take my relationship with God seriously. This is why we say stuff like, man, I just want to sing to God. I just want to worship God. I just want to be in his presence. This is why we miss the gathering of us coming together. It's because Christ has made us alive and we long for one another because he didn't just make you alive. He made us alive. It's, it's an usness in redemption. By grace that you've been saved, he continues. Grace, this unearned favor. God giving you what you don't deserve. It's by grace that you've been saved. Not just saved here, but also raised. There's the exaltation again. Raised up with him and then seated. All words past tense. Saved, raised, seated. Us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Rodney, as I read that passage, okay, I see moving from spiritual life that if I repent of my sins and trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross, he, 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 he justifies me, he, he makes me clean, he makes me alive, he, he, he brings me into his family. Rodney, that sounds like that's all work that God is doing. As a matter of fact, Paul will continue in this passage saying you are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul is being incredibly clear that salvation is of the Lord and those things are true and yes and amen. So Rodney, what is Paul talking about in Philippians 2? Talking about work now. He's confusing. No, he's thorough. You see, we are, we, we, we are saved. That is our justification. But we're also being saved. That's our sanctification. Paul in, in, in Ephesians 2 is talking about our justification, our salvation, how we are saved. That's something that God does by himself. It is, it is his choosing. It is, it is his redeeming. It is his blood. It is his atonement. It is his sacrifice. It is his propitiation for our sin. It's him buying us back off of the slave market of sin, death in the grave, and, and calling us into our own. It's his work. Don't touch it. Salvation is of the Lord. So what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2 is not salvation, but sanctification. Rodney, help me. You see, you're saved, yes. Past tense, yes. You're his, yes. But you're also being saved. Now that you're saved, he's now saying, be conformed to my image. That's the big picture. Now that you're saved, Rodney, now that you're saved, look like me. Rodney, now that you're saved, walk in my ways. I love how Eugene puts sanctification. He says, sanctification is long obedience in the same direction. I love that. It's not just obedience once. It's, it's, it's long. It's, it's daily making a choice over and over and over again. God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do things your way. Long obedience over time. What's our attitude that we should have as we are working through this sanctification? Paul tells us we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. This is not, this is not terror. This is not, Lord, I'm afraid. This is an attitude of reverence. It's, it's an attitude of being in awe over who God is. 
You got to work it out. You got to work it out. You got to work it out. You're, you're, working, uh, you're, you're working out your salvation. You're not working for your salvation. Do you see that? Paul is not saying work for your salvation, earn your way, be good enough. He knows you can't do that because Paul tried. Acts chapter 9. When he, when he came in contact with the risen Christ, he understood his, 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 all of his effort in righteousness is not enough. Maybe you're here and you're listening to this and you say, well, Rodney, duh, we, we, we know that our righteousness is not enough. We know that's why we need Jesus, but our, this self-righteous pursuit is tricky. Sometimes we would know that theologically, but it doesn't get down into our heart. So you'll still try to prove your righteousness by how much Bible you know. Or you'll prove your righteousness by how, how, how well you mother or how well you father. Or you'll prove your righteousness by how much money you make it. And, and a way we can know this is when we get these things that we're trying to prove our righteousness by, we then feel superior to others who aren't doing those things that we're doing. And therein, we find ourselves wallowing in self-righteousness. So you need to be reminded. I need to be reminded time and time again. You are saved by grace through faith, not of your works. But now that you're saved, get to work. See it? We are saved for good works, not by good works. So get to work. Right now, I still need help. I got you. I got a word. Write this down. This is good. There's a six-pack inside of you. There's a, there's a six-pack inside of you. Right now, whoever you are, there's a six-pack inside of you. Some of y'all are, are lifting up your shirt. You're like, yeah, it's right there. They're, 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 okay, cool. God bless you. Bless you. Yay. Good. Good, God bless you. Uh, for, for others, uh, there's, there's some coverage to your six-pack. There, um, there are some hindrances. There, there, there's a fight. There's a struggle. There's tension to you seeing this six-pack. But it doesn't make it nonetheless true that it's, that it's there. And, and, and for us with coverage... If, if, we, if we work, it's possible we'll see it. Diet, exercise, doing things that our trainer would encourage us to do, you'll see it. In the same way, there's you conform to the image of Christ in you. There's some blockage, there's, there's, there's covering. It's there. You're his, you're saved, but there's some work that needs to do for you to be conformed to his image. Put in, put in the work. And it's not just work for you to do, it's work for us to do. Still in this verse, still, still working on this verse, the Bible says work out your, your, your salvation, right? This word your is plural. It is not just you working, it's 
us working. There's that communal aspect of our text again. It's not just you working in isolation, trying to be conformed to his image, because you need reflectors, which are the body of Christ, that help you see parts that you're missing. And this is why repentance is important. And this is why walking together with humility and love is important, because this is a us work, not a you work. It's us working together. That's important. Because God's trying to conform us into his image. This can look like this humble you he's trying to conform you into. This, this devoted you. This, this you that relies on the Holy Spirit. This you that is filled with his word or, or, or filled with his mission or filled with evangelism or filled with faithfulness whatever he's called you to so even when it's hard you don't quit it's you that 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 works to be an effective disciple maker and and you're spending your days knowing that the work that you do for Christ will last and so you 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 spill your life out in, in 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 the development of other people that you he's working to bring that you out the non complaining you the quick to repent you And the other thousand reasons that God is working when we see a text like this where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Beloved, I don't know where your work particularly is, and that's things you need to spend uh, with time in prayer to God about. Maybe the Holy Spirit isn't speaking, is pulling some of that work up to the surface while while I'm teaching. But whatever it is, Let's commit to working it out. And here's good news for you working it out. You are not working alone. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Man, do you see that? God does all of the work in salvation. He moves on to sanctification. He says, okay, now there's some work for you to do. And then he says, but don't worry, you're not going to do it by yourself. I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to help you. Not only did I do all the work in salvation, I'm partnering with you in tandem for sanctification. He's both working in you, both to will and to do. The the desire of it, he's he's still initiating inside of you. He's, He's calling you to more of a surrendered, sacrificial life, and then he's empowering you to do the work. This is why he still gets all the glory. All the work we do is by his strength and by his power and by his motivations and by his design. Do you see that God is at work? I love what D.A. Carson says about this. He says, God is not working merely to strengthen us in our willingness, in our willing and acting. Paul's language is stronger than that. God himself is working in us both to will and to act. He works in us at the level of our will and at the level of our doing, D.A. Carson. To say it another way, God is working at the level of our surrender. He's at work. He did the work in salvation. He's partnering with you to do work in sanctification, to conform you to his image. But he's working at the level of your surrender. Beloved, that's, it's humbling that he works with us, but we need to take notice here. He's working with us as we surrender to him. So here's the question. Why haven't we surrendered? Maybe that's because we still fundamentally believe 
we're a better worker than God is. Maybe we haven't surrendered because truth be told, we love our sin more than we love him. Maybe part of the reason you haven't surrendered is because you still think you can beat it. You can triumph over this addiction. You can, you, you can outmaneuver this stronghold. You can, you can cheat your way to the top, and then when you get there, everything will be fine. You, you, you're still bent on doing it your way. And this is why confession is critical. Part of the steps that I want you to take this week is, is just learning how to confess well. Confession means I'm going to say what God says. Confession is, is saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong. Whatever this, this thing is that stops your surrendering, we need to confess over and over and over again, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. And no buts attach. No, Lord, you're right, you know, I'm wrong. But you see, what had happened was, or this is where I am right now, or I'm still kind of wrestling with this. No, surrender. Thank you, Lord. Surrender. Spirit of God's talking to somebody this morning. Surrender still wrestling with your, in, in, in your mind, justifying your own, your own sinful nature. And the Spirit of God is calling you to surrender to him. He's right, you're wrong, period. What he says about that sin, hear me. He's right, you're wrong, period. Surrender. You can't fix you. You can't deliver you. Surrender. So Rodney, what does, I hear you, what does this look like? What does this surrender stuff look like? How do I, how do I, how do I do that? It's, think about sleeping. Just a couple weeks ago, just had some trouble sleeping, trouble falling asleep. And so going to the living room, I'm talking to my wife and she's saying, you know, I'm, I'm telling her, I'm having trouble falling asleep. And she's, you know, she's a night owl. She works at night, so she takes a little bit longer. Um, and so I'm talking to her about it. She's like, hey, um, check, out this, check out this video I saw. And in this video, they're, they're, they're talking about how they train Air Force pilots to fall asleep in two minutes. I'm like, okay. I'll spend some time watching that video. And, and, and so they talk about how they, 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 they would find a comfortable spot and they would relax all of their muscles and they'll try to turn their mind off and, and they'll close their eyes real tight and then, and then relax them and make facial muscles and then relax them and make shoulder muscles and then relax them. Just tighten your body and then relax them. And then as you do that, and slowly you know, you'll fall asleep. Well, I tried it and I was still awake. But what the video was trying to do is say, hey, listen, you can't make sleep come. But you can't position yourself to sleep. That's what it means to surrender. So I'm not going to drink coffee if I'm trying to sleep. I'm not going to just sit and watch television. While if, 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 if you're going to surrender to sleep, turn the lights off. Find your spot. Relax and wait for sleep to come as you position yourself to sleep. Beloved, God's working with you on this. What does it look like for you to position yourself in holiness? What does it look like for you to position yourself in humility? You're in that fight, that tension with that friend, that loved one, and, and, and no one wants to, 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 to get low, to come under. What does it look like for you to position yourself in humility? 
What does it look like for you to position yourself in purity? It relates to things like pornography or fornication or adultery. What does it look like for you to say, I am going to position myself in such a way that I am not running to that thing like I was before? Maybe I need some accountability. Maybe I need some, some, some people walking with me. But you need first to surrender. God, you're right. I'm wrong. Get the help you need. It's like sleeping or it's like sailing. It's like going out uh, for, for, for a trip on a boat, on a sailing boat, not a motorboat. A motorboat, you produce the power. You produce the strength. The, the, the motor does. And so the motor is moving you by its effort. I'm not talking about a speedboat or a motorboat. I'm talking about a sailing boat. I'm talking about a boat that has no, 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 no energy to move itself. And so this boat is dependent on the wind to come to hit the sail so that the boat can go. Well, Rodney, how does that work? Well, this sailor is positioning the sail in such a way that when the wind comes, it can move. He can't make the wind come, but he can position himself so that when the wind hits the sail, it moves. Beloved, we can't, we, can't, we can't bring about fully our whole transformation, our whole deliverance, our whole renewal, but we can position ourselves in a way that works in concert with the work that God desires to do in the work. And we do this kind of work together with others. Point two, Shine like the sun. Paul says, as he's, he's, he's continuing here, do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine like the light in the world, holding fast to the words of life. Paul is not solely interested in just how you are, 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 are sanctified and transformed and praise God for that. But he's also interested that others are sanctified and others are transform, transformed. So Paul says, he takes a hit from Jesus who says, you are the light of the world. And Paul says, I want you to shine like stars. We are supposed to be in front of our community, in front of our city, stars that shine being distinct so that they may see your good work and glorify your father that is in heaven. But why stars, Paul? Why stars? Stars shine because of heat. Their energy comes from nuclear reactions inside the stars. Do you see that? These nuclear reactions inside the star is creating light and heat that we on earth admire from afar. But inside that star are all of these nuclear reactions. It's, it's all of this, this work. It's, it's all of this sanctification, even in the midst of suffering and challenging times when I am limited or things don't go my way. There, there, there's still all of this sanctifying stuff happening inside of the star that causes it to shine. And we, on the outside, we admire. But on the inside, there are all of these reactions. Beloved, in the same way, that's what God is calling us to do, to shine like stars so people can come and be warmed by us. 
so that people can come and see the light of the glory of Christ emanating from us. But Paul says one of the things that kills that kind of collective light that, that, that distorts this, this, this heat that I'm looking to bring to the people around us, two things, grumbling and complaining. Why? They ruin our witness. They distort who we are. When I grumble and I complain, I'm ruining my light shining. This is a star's work. He's called to, 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 to go through these nuclear reactions of working stuff out and, and sanctification so that he can shine. Why, 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 why experience all of that only to allow this grumbling and complaining to ruin my witness? Witness takes time to build, but it easily can be ruined. So he says, one of the things fighting your shine is your mouth. It is the same thing we see in the nation of Israel when they grumbled before Moses. They were supposed to be a, a, a nation that was a light to the world, but their grumbling and their constant complaining ruined their witness. Are you a grumbler? I was sharing this passage with my children, and, 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 and one of my children, I was just speaking, are, are you a grumbler? Are you, are you a complainer? Because that's, that, that ruins your witness, Paul says. Maybe you're that person, you just, you love the grumble, you love the complain, you love to get with other grumblers. Have you ever noticed grumblers hang out together? I don't know, I don't know how grumblers, listen, I don't know how grumblers find each other, but it is like they have grumbling magnets. And when, and when one grumbler hears just the whisper of another grumbler that's complaining, they unite together in grumbling unity. Paul says, not grumbling or complaining, not being that person in the back of the meeting with their mouth covered, snickering, bickering, always pointing out the negative. It ruins unity. Paul says, those that grumble, those that complain. He goes on to say, not just that, but man, Paul wants his church to be united. What's this? Here it is again. Enjoy. You want to experience joy? Just stop grumbling and complaining. Lean into what Christ has done. Lean into what Christ is, the work that he's desiring to do in you. If you can stop grumbling, you can see there's a whole lot of work Christ is trying to do in you right now. You grumble and complain, you only see the work that needs to be done in others. And it ruins your witness, and then it ruins unity, and it ruins joy. It becomes hard to be joyful. Paul is saying, listen, I want you guys to walk in such a way that even if I'm being poured out as a love offering over your faith, Paul is saying, if it takes my life to see your faith mature and that you would make disciples, so be it. Because in that day of Christ, I want to stand proud of you. Not that my work was in vain. Not that I wasted my, my, my work and my effort. I want to stand 
proud of you. So in verse 17, part B, listen to what Paul says. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is on this journey, this, this journey of joy. And, and, and what I love about this is Paul is saying that, that I am glad and rejoicing over you. And then there's this encouragement for, for us to join Paul in rejoicing. And this is new. All throughout Philippians, he has been talking about his joy and the joy that he has in the midst of a hard situation. He's been talking about and, and encouraging the Philippian church to, to, to complete his joy. But, but now he's saying, I want you to join in in rejoicing with me. You are going to see this throughout the rest of the letter that Paul's encouragement is not just going to be in his joy being full, but our joy being full. And he goes on. And so in his humility, being confined to prison, he rejoices. When others preach Christ out of false motives to try to injure Paul, he still rejoices. Even if it costs his life and he loses his head, he has found joy and joy that remains. What an admonition for us. And I challenge you right now, wherever you are, where can you find joy? When, when things can be very challenging, very tight, when, when, when there can be frustrations and confusions, anxiety or depression, where can you right now find joy? I'll give you a hint, one place in the cross of Jesus. I'll give you a hint, another place, if you're a believer, that you've been redeemed and brought back, that you have been indwelt with his spirit, that there is eternal life set for you, that he is in you and working in you, and you got a partner in your own sanctification. There are many points where we can rejoice, even in the common graces that God gives us every day. Like, we woke up this morning, rejoice. There are so many ways God can be calling us into this perpetual uh, state of rejoicing and rejoicing over and over again. He's showing us a path of how we get to joy. It is by trusting, leaning, depending on Jesus. And so I want to challenge you with two things. Pray that that was a blessing to you and helped you. I want to challenge you with that first thing again, talking about confession. Where is it that you need to confess your sins. Remember what we said that that means. It means that, that God's right. His word is right. He didn't mess up in the text. His word is right. And if we are contrary to his word, we're wrong. We need to surrender and say to God, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I want to do things your way on your timetable. I want to entrust my life to you. I want to entrust my challenge to you, whatever that challenge may be. I want to entrust that to you. So I encourage you to confess that, whatever that is, as I was teaching. And then secondly, as you confess that, would you share that with someone? Scriptures talks about work out your own, that yours, plural. Who, who can you be working that out with? We are not called, even in the midst of a pandemic, with stay-at-home orders. We are not called to live life in isolation. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, I want to encourage you to find somebody that you are walking through life with, walking through your journey with Christ with. And so I want to encourage you.